0: Reopening Delaware, a special presentation of The Rick Jensen Show on
1: WDEL. Join us now as we navigate the future of our state through and beyond the COVID-19 crisis. Here's Rick Jensen. Addiction during the pandemic has been especially brutal on families and those who are in recovery and those who are not themselves. Dawn and Vince are both in recovery. They're on the phone along with Recovery Centers of America CEO Corey Ritchie. And uh, RCA Clinical Supervisor, Carrie Kermither. Now, just to make things confusing, hi, everybody. Good morning. Good
2: morning. Good morning.
1: <laughs> I, I, that wasn't nearly as confusing as I had imagined. No. <laughs> so it's great to have you on. And I, I know that, uh, Carrie, you'll be uh, talking probably mostly with Don and Vince as well. But uh, last week, we had Vince on, and uh, we were covering this. And Vince... Um some of the things that we really wanted to go over again uh, from last week is details, what was helpful for you to get into recovery and then get the help that you really needed.
3: So when we talked last month, I think the part that um, hit the hardest was the power of exposure in your situation,
1: Yeah.
0: that
3: once the police had blasted you um, on a social media forum, then everything started to come to light. So you know, you can take it from there.
0: Yeah, um uh, the secret was out. At least, you know, the secret that you tell yourself um, I was always okay with my family knowing, but everyone else knowing, I had to maintain an image and like I said, uh I was willing to accept this image of criminal um troublemaker, but the image of I have a substance abuse problem, I was not willing to admit um Subconsciously to myself, I knew I did, but uh consciously, I would deny, 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 so yeah, i've always cling to that um, and, and then I, there was a point
3: there when um, you okay, so now the foundation set, everyone knows, um, and then you have an overdose, and that was a moment of clarity for you and you, and you explained last time that overdose is death. You know, it is death. So once you hit that moment is when you started to realize that you never had to feel that way again. And then the willingness came in.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Once I was hit with that, that is awakening, if you will. I'll I'll describe it as that because naturally I don't really have that thought to my own devices of I don't have to go through this anymore. Um, And that was a shift um, in my mentality and, and my perspective that I never have to go through this again. And and as I accepted that fact, um, my honesty and my willingness came about. I was finally open to being willing to try something new. So all these mechanisms or, if you will, principles started to change my perception and my reality as I continue to walk forward and, and get honest with myself, which is a hard thing to do. So...
3: And you mentioned a lot of things, I think, that the listeners would appreciate hearing again as reminders. Um, one of the things was you made the distinction between enabling love, tough love, and then a balance between the two.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a, there's tough love, which at times is, is very much needed. Um, and then there's the compassionate, real, genuine um, love not that they aren't both from love but one is softer and one's tougher um, and it's definitely needed a balance in between the two because um, that soft love when I am in the position where I need tough love can actually harm
1: me so let me interrupt when you. When you when you're talking about soft love Vince, you're talking about enabling aren't you yeah that's what it sounds like to me absolutely, right. yeah in other words, gosh, you know, I don't, I don't want to upset things, and and I don't want to start a, a fight, and I don't want anyone to be angry, I don't, I don't want Vince to be angry, I'm just going to enable, here, here's $100, please don't get angry, okay, fine, you know, that, that kind of, so, sometimes that's that's actually weakness, though, isn't it?
0: Yeah, um... It's tough because, you know, a parent or a loved one loves that person and they just want them to be safe. And one of the tactics I used to use against um, my mother was a lot of the times I would manipulate her. You know what I'm going to do if I don't do this. So now they're placed in a position that 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 loved one is placed in the position where they can control the outcome. And and, and it seems the only two outcomes they have is either I can give my son money and he's going to do what he's going to do. Uh-huh. Or he's going to go another way and do what he's going to do. Ultimately, what that that loved one knows is that individual will most likely find a way to make it happen. Their experience with the individual already shows that. So do I control him not getting in trouble just by giving him the money? So that's the perspective, I, I believe, that the loved one starts to, uh, you know, navigate. Do I control him not getting in trouble? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Or do I, you know, not? And the balance
3: really came from her when she found help herself. Yeah. On how to deal with you without feeling that guilt of of she may cause you to go, you know, even worse in the the other direction, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, My mom somehow, you know, God bless her, Um, she found the ability to navigate both of them when needed it was like almost like she she would like it's like she was very conscious to what her decisions with me and she knew which one would happen I think she had a lot of experience with what worked and what didn't um you know throughout my time because at one time it was very enabling and at one time it was just tough and then towards the end it was both and it was all met um situational which was needed and uh it it pushed me and I felt comfortable enough to open up to her finally even though she knew but like for me to admit it um is a lot different you know and for me to finally say hey I I trusted my mom enough to say hey I'm I'm gonna go get help
1: um let me, let me ask you a question Vince let me ask you this then for people listening right now you can have a mom or a dad or a brother or sister listening right now to you and thinking, okay, well, I have a brother or a sister or someone, daughter, son is addicted, and they're going through this, and they're, they're always manipulating. So what is it with two things? I know, first of all, they should get counseling themselves to learn how to deal uh, and how to work with and hopefully get a loved one into counseling, And but... What could they do right now in your mind, basically, because, you know, you've gone through this. Someone listening right now is listening and thinking, okay, so I've been through this with the enabling and trying to be tough and everything. What do you think they should do right now? Someone who is, their experience is just off of enabling? hmm I guess, um, or maybe just, maybe trying to do it all and it hasn't worked out. What do you think they ought to do? Yeah. Take help. Yeah. Reach out. The other, the
3: other thing that you mentioned to just to extend on that idea was that there, there are some times that you can have a conversation honestly with a person who's struggling. One of the things that you had said before was if that person is really down on themselves to take advantage of that opportunity, to speak to them in that moment.
0: Absolutely. When, when that individual who is, uh, and addiction is kind of at their low, their bottom, um beating themselves up. You can kind of meet them with that that's where you would meet them with that genuine love, that that uh soft spot and speak honesty and you can get a lot of the truth out of them in that moment. My mom did that and um as I was in my bottom, I was finally able and comfortable enough just to let all my guards down and and be honest. So, you know, An individual should never have to worry, you know, perhaps never have to worry about not being honest to their mother. You know, I I choose not to because I'm very, in in, in addiction, I'm very protective in trying to control the outcome or the image that I have. Um, So for that to happen is is a big step. So I
3: guess from a a family perspective, did all of your family, your siblings, you know, your grandma, your mom, did everyone get on the same page?
0: Um there there yeah yeah um everybody kind of was like vince needs help i do remember that you know um my grandmom to be honest it was my mom and my grandmom at the end of my my uh addiction days where they just met me with my mom met me with this firm boundary of both Mm -hmm. and my grandmom um My grandma met me with this compassionate, I got you type of love. And like, you're going to, let's do it. And uh, she was a big support, um, big support for me. So I had both of them. And then my father was definitely more along the lines of some tough love. Um, My sisters, my one sister was definitely there for me. And the other one wanted to be there, but she had to protect, um, you know, she had children. And I I was no, I I shouldn't, you know, there was no reason to have, she had to protect the children, so she did, we didn't get as close during that time.
1: Bottom line is, uh, she didn't want you around the kids because you could be a bad influence, and that's it, right? Absolutely. I mean, the yeah. stuff that I
0: was doing—you know—imagine uh, a kid finding this stuff. You know, that's that's a bad
1: outcome right there. But now you are—you are six years sober. Yeah, coming up on six years of sobriety. Yes, sir. Nice, nice. And also here with Dawn, and Dawn is a case manager two and a half years sober, but had 14 years of sobriety at one point. And I want to hear from Dawn as, as well. Hi, Dawn. Hey. Hi. So, so um, I tell you what, I, I the one thing I, I hate to hear, because I like to see people succeed in all is you know, someone's 10 years sober, 14 years sober, and then what happened?
2: Um, I stopped taking care of myself and doing the things that I had done for all that time before, Um, you know, it took a little while after I stopped doing those things for me to start um, using drugs again, but I've learned that there's, you know, just like I had to maintain to use drugs, I have to maintain my sobriety as well, you know, it's like working out, you're going to go to the gym, you got to keep going if you want to keep that up, so I need to keep doing that, and, um, you know, I learned that, unfortunately, the hard way. But, um... Yeah, I,
1: I hate that analogy because I'm that guy who stopped going to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> I really am. By the way, if you just tuned in, uh, it's Vince and Dawn, and uh, they are in recovery. Uh, we also have uh, the clinical supervisor, Carrie Kamether, at uh, Recovery Centers of America, and the CEO, uh, Corey, is kind of like listening on, on this thing as as well. <laughs> we Something we talked about before but didn't really get into is uh, – Do you believe that that women face different challenges than men when you figure it's time now to get sober?
2: Absolutely. Um, Especially if there's children involved, it's very, very difficult for a woman to say, okay, I'm going to take time away from my kids so that I can help myself. Um, You know, there's this thought that, like, me being there is what they need, but really me being there with them was harmful to them, you know? seeing me that way all the time. And I think societies, if you're uneducated about addiction, a lot
3: of people from societal standards will say, well, she has children. Why isn't that enough? You know, she should do this for her kids. And Dawn, you and I talked about that, Mm -hmm. about that if love was enough, then -hmm. we wouldn't have the issue to begin with. And that's why I think Dawn has such a great story to share from a female's perspective, because that is a fight I think most females have have to endure is, you know, the expectations of a mother being enough to get you clean
1: and sober. Why wasn't it enough?
2: Because I don't have control over my disease. Um, I can't just say okay, I love my kids, so I'm going to stop doing that. It's not that simple. Um, Once that addiction takes over with the substances, it's a completely irrational process. It makes no sense. It makes no sense to me, you know, looking back on it now. But at the time, it was, I just have to keep doing this, and I don't know how to stop doing this.
1: How'd get I love what you get started? I I I want to I want to hear how Go she ahead. got started though because okay, yes. as I understand here that you were a high school teacher like 15 years and uh and kids and all that. How'd you get started?
2: Um again, you mean after the
1: 14 years? No, the the very first time.
2: Oh, I was a teenager. You know, I think like most teenagers, um they experiment. And I was experimenting and um I liked what it did to me and that addiction, addictive part of me took over and i became addicted to the substances.
1: What all were you because using?
2: I, um probably about 7 years i guess.
1: No, i meant uh, what? I mean heroin, oh, fentanyl, uh, coke.
2: No, mostly alcohol and cocaine. I hadn't yet um, gotten into opioids at that point in time. I did, after I relapsed, I did start using opiates, and that was really what destroyed my life. I think that the gap happens when it goes from experimental to
3: almost habitual. It starts to take the place of coping. Yeah. So now the only relief you're feeling is use. And so that reinforces use more and more, and then it's on you, mm-hmm. you know. And um, you talked about that in some of your story as well. But go ahead, Rick.
1: No, I was just I was wondering, and and is it because sobriety is 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 like a scary thing, especially when you're using?
2: Oh, absolutely, it's very scary when you're using. Once you like, you know that lifestyle, you know what to expect, and you're completely numb to. Any kind of feelings or reality, people can tell you things, but it's just not, it's not clear. You're living in a fog. And um, the comic, getting clean and starting to see the destruction of your life around you is a very difficult thing to face, to accept. Um, there's a lot of cleanup to do a lot of times that people have to take care of. Legal issues, um, you know, kids, my children went to live with my sister for a while, you know, um, because I could not get it together. Um, So there's a lot of factors that come into getting clean.
1: When we come back after this break, talking with Don and Vince, they're in recovery, as well as Carrie through Recovery Centers of America. I'd like to know if uh, your kids went to live with your sister, but... Was that a family intervention? Did they take the kids? Did you say to your sister, I, I can't handle these kids anymore? How did that happen? What exactly was that process? And then what happened later when you got sober? We'll be back right after this. Addiction and recovery during the pandemic. It's been horrible for millions and millions of more people. And now there looks like there's a light in a tunnel vaccines well not by the end of june maybe in a july now that's going to provide some relief but to get a better understanding of this on the phone is carrie kameether clinical supervisor recovery centers of america cory ritchie the ceo and special guests vince and dawn both in recovery we're talking with dawn right now hey dawn hi hi you were saying there's there's more shame and more trauma from women or for women when uh, you're using and when you're in recovery and and one of these events you mentioned before the break was your kids went to live with your sister how old were they and did you say to your sister here i can't take care of the kids or did the family intervene and say your kids need to go to your sister so they
2: were seven and four and um my family had a discussion, my sister, my mother, my stepfather, my brother-in-law, had a discussion about how it was getting so bad in my home that they needed to do something. And it was a a mutual agreement um, that I was going to get help and my ex-husband was going to try to get help and they went to live with my sister and they were with her for um, over two years. Um, My ex-husband was able to get himself clean before I was. Um, and they are living with him now, and that's a hard thing. Like, I'm, I've come to a place of acceptance of what the situation is and my actions have consequences, um, and my relationship with my kids is amazing today, and I am working on the things I need to do to put myself in place so that they can be with me half-time, you know, and we can share their living arrangements, and but it's taken time of, you know, I, I was a teacher, but I started at the bottom when I got clean. I started as a waitress for a couple of years, and then I started working at RCA as a, like a tech, um, you know, support specialist it's called, and now I'm doing case management, and it's taken time, but through taking care of myself, I've been able to achieve these things in my life. So you're conference.
1: two you're two and a half years sober now. How old are the kids now? Twelve and ten. And and for people listening, I mean, I, I imagine that there are likely men and, and women listening who are going through addiction, hearing this. Maybe it's a woman with kids, and here you are not being with the kids for years and years and years, and yet at two and a half years sober. Um, what is keeping the kids from living with you, the mom?
3: The one thing, Dawn, I just want to say and interject here yeah, is one of the things that I respect um, so much about you and your journey is you truly live one day at a time. And so, the question that you ask with, with that span is similar to probably questions you get asked by people um, who don't understand the situation so much. Yeah, so that yeah. is, there is no timeline when it comes to recovery and wellness. Okay. Um, and so I know that part of the reason they're not with you full time yet is still the healing process continues and also paying attention to their best interest as well. Mm-hmm you know, in that ease of, of back into things. Mm-hmm. But you can add on to that if I missed anything.
2: Yeah, um, so I went to a recovery house for a while and then started managing the recovery house and I'm still doing that. Um, and financially, I've been trying to set myself up to provide a home for them where they have the living space that they need. Um, so that's been a factor and I've been looking into that recently. Um, To move on to take the next step in my recovery. It's not really a matter of I'm going to go to Rehab for 30 days, and I'm going to leave and I'm going to be good The only thing that's changed really in that time is that I'm not putting a substance in my body But there's a lot of healing that needs to take place I mean the the rehab is great, but where it really counts is what you're going to do when you leave the rehab and how you're going to continue to take care of yourself because It's too easy to slip right back into um, using substances. You know, you get that one moment after rehab that you're uncomfortable with the situation and the first thought is, well, I know what will fix this, Mm. you know, and learning different strategies to get through that um, is what needs to happen. And the part that I love is that you're so vigilant about your recovery
3: that you even it took extra time before you moved into a case management role, and you really were super aware that sometimes people, when they work in the field, replace their own recovery mm-hmm. with their place of employment. Mm-hmm. And you've been really vigilant and diligent in not doing that for the reason of the commitment to recovery.
1: Yeah. Know? So, so when we come back after the news here with, with Don, um, we want to get into. What did work? Because the more stories we hear, the more we hear that there's, there's individuality involved in, in recovery. So, uh, Carrie and uh, Corey with Recovery Centers of America, Vince and Dawn, hang on. Back with you right after the news. The Rick Jensen Show. 1150 AM, 1017 FM, WDEL and WDEL.com. Talking about... Addiction, recovery during the pandemic and beyond on the phone are Carrie Kamither, clinical supervisor at Recovery Centers of America, bringing along with her the CEO, Corey. Hi, Corey. You don't get to talk much, but I'm glad you're here. Hi, I'm glad I'm here, too. (laughs) That's fine, because really what we're doing is listening to stories of Vince and Don. Vince and Don both uh, Mm -hmm. recovering And um, Vince, as we learned last time we talked last month, uh, statistically, should not even have made it through recovery, but he did. And Don, you're so brave and and so courageous to come forth, share your personal stories and how, uh, how painful that can be, knowing full well it can help other people, individuals as well as families. I just want to thank you for that.
2: You're welcome. Um, I did want to go back to something that you had asked me a few minutes ago. You asked me why weren't my kids with me. And um, and that's fine, you know, but that's part of the societal expectation that is often hard for women to get through. Um, because I'm not sure that a lot of men get asked that same question. Like, you know, if the kids are with their mom, it's not usually, well, why aren't they with you? It's kind of expected that the kids are going to be with their mom. And that becomes that becomes hard for women to be okay with it, you know, and to come to a place of acceptance that the situation is what it is and I'm still going to be a great mom. Oh, know? yeah, I
1: agree. Usually you ask the, you ask the dad, or you're, you know, you're seeing the kids, you have the kids. Uh, there is that expectation. I think a lot of it comes from court cases. Most of us are familiar uh, with so many people who have gotten divorced with, uh, with even w- without addiction being part of it. And the courts are, uh, it seems to me, used to giving the kids, you know, custody first to the mom. And then then we decide, is there going to be joint custody, things like that. So, yeah, I think societally, uh, you're right that there is this expectation on a number of different levels. But I, I think you also made a good point, and maybe we didn't uh, talk about it fully, in that uh, you're going through recovery. You had addictions for 14 years and then you uh you weren't taking care of yourself and then you went into opioids for like two and a half years and when you got yourself clean and sober as you have been now, God bless you for like you know uh i guess uh two and a half years now sober you're not mentally ready you you're you're uh you hurt yourself basically you were you were sick from the addictions mm-hmm. right Th- that's the that's the point I'm getting here uh maybe you should go into that a little bit further please.
2: Sure, it's a whole healing process when you stop using substances. There's a lot of things that, um, you know, about myself that I have to learn about myself. You know, I got clean. I didn't even know really who I was anymore. I didn't know what I liked to do. I didn't know my values anymore. And those things have changed over the course of the last two and a half years. Um, But I kind of had to just learn how to be again
1: coping skills, things like that. Yes. And, and I think
3: part of the reason, too, that, you know, your story is so powerful is because women don't generally talk about the struggle like this. And you said that throughout your time of in recovery that some of the most powerful things were hearing other women say out loud how you were feeling inside.
2: Yes, absolutely. Hearing other women talking about similar struggles and how they felt about situations was so relieving to realize that, like, okay, I'm not alone in this. There are other people that are doing this, are going through this, and they're staying clean, and they're happy in their life, you know?
1: What were some of the other things you learned from these women about maybe shame and and guilt and, and stuff that people don't really want to talk about?
2: I think just you know a lot of self-acceptance like you know I did what I did because I was a slave to a substance and I didn't know how to stop you know and I did whatever I needed to do um, personally prostitution is not part of my experience however for a lot of women it is you know it's a it, they know they can make money that way and um you know most of them don't feel great about that experience, and it's very hard for them to um make get make their way emotionally through what they've experienced in that regard um There's a lot of trauma that comes with that for women um that's hard to work through for them, and sometimes it's easier to just get high because staying, staying clean is is work it takes it takes work
1: so what was it that got you to turn around? We t- heard Vince, and Vince, overdose, almost dying, and con- convinced himself, yeah, I don't want to be like this. What was, what was the moment, or what were the moments or the time? Uh, what helped you turn around to decide, yes, I want to recover?
2: Um, I had a really hard time doing it. Like, I would go to treatment and stay clean for a few weeks and then just go right back to using. And um, I did end up in jail for a few months. And so I was kind of forced into not using for a period of time. And after being there for a few months, like, I started to laugh again. I started to just be okay with being in my own skin without a substance in me. And, you know, because I did not laugh when I was getting high. There was no fun in it. It was a job, you know. It took a lot of work, and it was miserable. Um, So just just being able to laugh and enjoy my time with other women. And it sounds like a crazy thing because I was in jail, but really that's kind of where I discovered that, like, all right, I kind of like this, you know, let me keep on going with it. And when I left there, I had to put myself in a position to do that. You know, I had to put myself in a structured environment and I had to commit to doing the things that were going to be necessary to not get high on a daily basis.
1: So the jobs, the working, setting goals, those things gave you some structure?
2: Yes,
3: I think the biggest thing, the biggest thing was even though you were in jail, the opposite of addiction is connection.
2: Right, right. And that is
3: what you started to feel among those women. That's what started to make you laugh. That's what started to light you back up again, right? So the work that takes place when you leave a place like that is to reestablish connection again.
2: Yep, absolutely. And that's a huge part. I can't do this by myself. I need other people in my life that have, you know, that are walking this path with me, that have done it before me, that can help guide me through the struggles that I might have going on. Um, I need other people to do this. And when I was in my addiction, I was all by myself. You know, I had my immediate family, but they didn't really know how to deal with it. You know, they didn't understand it. Um, but I have people in my life that have been in the same situation. And that is, that's what's really been helpful for me.
1: So, uh, Carrie was saying that you live, you know, day to day. That's really what you're in day to day. So, you know, do you like make a list of goals to do today, things like that. You organize your life that way. And, and that helps you stay focused and on track.
2: Um, I don't necessarily make a list, but, you know, I have some different things that I do for myself. Like, I'll use some meditation, which it took me a little bit of time to incorporate that into my life. I'll make sure, you know, I call somebody else in recovery. Um, you know, I go to some recovery groups that I participate in that's helpful. Um You know, so just things like that. I'll read something, you know, there's like a a daily reading I'll do just to kind of get myself into a a positive mindset, you know, and just like I'll go through feelings that are uncomfortable and it's kind of like, all right, I'm just going to get through today. Like I'm going to get through Mm. the next hour and I've never woken up the next day wishing I got high the day before. So it usually works pretty well. And the
3: humility that you maintain to remain teachable Mm -hmm. every day. That's what it takes, too. Absolutely. You know, is that you cannot, you can't fear voicing struggle. And that's what makes it so special. You guys are even speaking here on such a public forum, you know, is that a lot of people don't get real with what's really going on. Mm -hmm. And that ultimately is what helps you stay in recovery.
2: Yeah. You have to be honest with yourself in order to continue to get better and to continue to heal. You know, it's like the denial of the fact that you're an addict is hard. That has to get broken through before somebody's going to get help because there's usually a period of time where it's like, I'm fine. It's not that bad, you know. And then so there's other things once you get clean that you have to start to realize about yourself. You know, I realized that um, I was having a hard time accepting some of the things in my past. You know, and in order to heal, I had to work through accepting some of those things in order to get better and not beat myself up anymore.
1: Yeah. And and look at you right now on most listened to talk show in all of Delaware and South Jersey and Northern Maryland. And you're opening up and saying, this is who I am. This is where I'm at. And it gives you a sense of, of strength and power as opposed to, uh, you know, any sort of humiliation or anything. It's It's actually empowering, isn't it?
2: It is. Absolutely. I uh, really don't let anybody else's opinion or judgment stop me from opening up about this because there's other women that are going to hear it and that are going to be like, oh, my gosh, maybe like I can do this. You know, somebody else has the same thing, you know, so whatever other people might think about the situation is fine. You know, it doesn't matter because there's other women that are right now in the same place I was, and there is a way
1: to get through it. Sure. And Dawn, you were in and out of treatment here and there and just uh, never really committed. But I want to get to Carrie on this one because uh, you came to RCA, Recovery Centers of America, where uh, you're also working as a case manager. And and Carrie, what is it that RCA is doing for folks who are in a position like Dawn, especially when uh, Dawn says... Hey, uh, as a woman, um, I'm, well, she was obviously empowered by other women. She felt better being able to be open with other women, figuring that women understand each other better than uh, the mixed gender setting and things like that. I mean, do you have, is there such a thing as gender-specific help at Recovery Centers of America?
3: Definitely and without a doubt. Um, we, we run a gender separation, um, well, it's gender-separated program, We have an evolutions program that's specifically for adults over 35 years of age. So we have a male track and a female track. And we have one also for the younger adult females and males. We have um, trauma tracks for males and females that are separate because of the gender differences that occur in the experience and the approach needed. Um, And then, you know, we also have uh, the prize program for Patients who have had sober time similar to Dawn, you know, like a 14-year stint, or maybe even just a couple years, they've relapsed, and now they need to revisit and um, look another way at what's going on. What so
1: about we specifically people, do that. It, yeah, what about it, Because in all honesty, yeah.
3: with sobriety, okay, um, when you have nothing left to reach for, it would be very easy to reach for the next thing that feels good. You know, and that could be attention from the opposite sex. So, I mean, that's, uh, we educate our patients on that and, you know, to rebuild them so that their addiction doesn't shift into something else, um, so that they're focused on themselves and really why they're here. So that's why we have specific groups that we run the way that we do.
1: Carrie, you mentioned relapse. How common is that? Somebody is clean and sober for 10 years, or Dawn's case, 14 years, and then, well, as Dawn said, her story was not taking care of herself and, and relapse. How common is that for people to relapse after such a long period of time?
3: So think about the working out analogy, right? So we could say the same thing of, of how frequently do people stop working out and then um Have to get back in the saddle and get back to the gym and redo it. I think it's individual for people. I think a misconception often is that you go through treatment and now you're all better. You know, this is a lifelong thing. It would be similar to if you had like, I don't know, um, a condition, if you're diabetic, you know, cholesterol, whatever. For the rest of your life, you have to be vigilant and watch your intake. It's the same with recovery, so it's going to be an individual basis. And Vince and Dawn um, definitely demonstrate the gifts that recovery offer. I mean, specifically the honesty, transparency, their commitment and dedication, and the connection that they, that they have continuously, not just through RCA, but outside of RCA, is such a great example for our patients, you know, of how to stay in recovery long term. And if you ask people after they relapse, and Dawn, you might agree with this, it, it's all part of the learning experience. It's all part of the process, you Absolutely. know, that you learn now pitfalls. You know, after 14 years, you can probably highlight when you look back exactly what took you down so that now in, now during this length of time, that's not going to be an issue anymore because you've learned from that process.
2: Yes, definitely. Right. definitely the case.
1: By the way, you talked about the evolutions, the breaking free trauma, and all, uh, I want to add there the young adult program. You actually sent that to me for people under 35. It's Kerry clinical supervisor, Recovery Centers of America. Vince, Don, congratulations. We're all pulling for you. And to hearing your stories, I'm sure, is uh, very stimulating and hopefully helpful to a lot of people as well. Corey Ritchie, CEO, Recovery Centers of America. Kerry, um, Corey, I'll just give you the last word, what you'd like to say.
3: So I think that um, we greatly appreciate you allowing us to come on here and allowing us to, you know, highlight some of the people that we have here that have a a strong recovery program um, so that we can reach more people and and let them know that help is possible, recovery is possible, and that there is plenty of people who have been right where they are that are more than willing to help guide them, like Dawn was saying, guide them, make those connections. Um, And we here at Recovery Centers of America really are truly passionate about what we do. So it's great to highlight that. So thank you for that opportunity.
1: Sure. Uh, Corey, you got great people there, man. Great people.
3: I think so, but I'm biased.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, uh, Carrie and and Corey and Dawn and Vince, thanks so much. We'll get this on the podcast page, Recovery Centers of America. You can get help. It's out there. Just got to reach for it. Back after this.